You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking to Fred Luter, who's the pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church in New Orleans, Louisiana, about how he prepares sermons, how he got started in ministry, and some helps for us as we prepare our own sermons. Pastor, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Smith. It's an honor to be here, man. It's a treat. All right, I want to jump right out of the gate with a question that I've gotten two or three times that's uh, significant to me. Young African-American pastor will come to me and say, how do we see a revival of expository preaching in an African-American context? Mm -hmm. So it seems with the, with a backdrop of great history of narrative preaching, there's an yes. incredible avenue to combine that cultural heritage yes. with a theological commitment. What do you think? Do you, do you see that much as a trend or is that something that's possible? Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, when it, it's a great need for it. Uh, I thank the Lord for that uh, when I first started out preaching, he put me uh, in a situation where I was literally uh, taught and mentored by two uh, of what, who I feel the best two expositor preachers in, in America, uh, who happen to be who happen to be African American. One is uh, Dr. Tony Evans of Oakland okay. Bible Fellowship in uh, Dallas, Texas. Now, how did you know Dr. Evans? Uh, just listening to him on the radio in New okay. Orleans, I was, uh, was uh, and I said to myself. Who is this guy? Man, this yeah. guy's phenomenal. This yeah. guy is awesome. And uh, and again, I was not an expository preacher at that time. Mm -hmm. I was just a narrative, uh, maybe a, a topical preacher. Right. And I said, man, this guy's incredible how he breaks down the scripture. I've got to really get to know this guy. And I started hearing him on the radio, and he started talking about this pastor's conference that he had coming up in Dallas, huh. uh, a expository preaching conference. He was hosting it. He was hosting it uh, at his church at Oakland Bible Fellowship, and I signed up immediately. Then soon after that, uh, I was introduced to Dr. E.K. Bailey, mm -hmm. who's pastor of the Concord Missionary Baptist Church, also here in Dallas. Yeah. And I gone home to be with the Lord and uh, started attending his expiratory, expiratory preaching conference. Uh, and just I was just blown away at the gift that God had given to them and how they were able to take the scripture and literally make it come alive through expiring and what the word of God was saying. And it just it just put me in a whole different light. I, you know, it's like you, when you see someone that you admire, you will say, you know, I want to, I want to be like that yeah. person. I, and that's, and, and I just started, uh, back in 1988, 89, uh, putting this into action by, uh, using the gifts that God has given me and also using the teachings that I learned from these two guys, right. uh, on how be, how to be the best spiritual preacher I can be. And, and God has grown our church as a result of that. Yeah. I've seen the results of what a spiritual preacher can do in the life yeah. of a church and the life of a ministry, but also in the life of a preacher. Yeah. Okay, you just said a mouthful. I want to oh, come Lord. back to that. All right. Let me, uh, did, did you ever hear Dr. E.K. Bailey's sermon on Hosea, that first person? Yes. That did? Unbelievable. In incredible. Yeah. Just masterful. But again, he X'd out the positive truth that was in the text. Yes. It's yes. Unbelievable. He is one that I can sit down and listen to for hours. Yeah. Um, one of the greatest joys that I, I ever had was to have him to come preach in the pulpit at Franklin Avenue Baptist Church uh, before he went on home to be with the Lord. And uh, uh, what a gift to the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And just to be at his funeral and to see so mm -hmm. many 
pastors and preachers from across the country who he had poured his life into, mm-hmm. uh, I, I felt honored and felt special. Yeah. And his preaching conference that lives yes. on. Went yes. to it last year. Unbelievable. Yes. It goes on to this day. And every year, some of the best spiritual preachers across the country are there. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. All right, let's talk about yourself for seven. All right. You grew up in Lower Ninth Ward, is in that correct? In the Lower Ninth. Okay. <laughs> well, we call it Lower Ninth, mm-hmm. and it was a very uh, 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 place uh, in the city of New Orleans that uh, it was kind of, it was a situation where people, I guess, were called the hood. Yeah. Uh, but it was a very proud community. A lot of, uh, uh, it was a predominantly African-American community. Yeah. Uh, everyone there were homeowners, uh, uh, school teachers, people worked the post office. Matter of fact, our claim the famous Fats Domino lived in the Lord that war. And, uh, it wasn't Blueberry Hill, but it was in the Lord that war. And, uh, matter of fact, during Hurricane Katrina, I mean, people may not know, but Fats Domino was rescued off of his roof uh, during Hurricane Katrina because, you know, Lord that war was flooded uh, uh, really bad. But uh, And he uh, uh, was one that was also grew up in the Lord that war. And a lot of people uh, uh, know that uh, those of us who grew up in that, our claim to fame was that we grew up in the neighborhood that Fats Domino lived in. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. So how did you come to faith? It was uh, through a, what I call my Damascus Road experience. I was uh, in the hospital, Charity Hospital, New Orleans, Louisiana. I was in a very tragic motorcycle accident, uh, had a hole in my head. Compound How frame. old were you? I was still, at that time, I was 21 years old, mm. 21 years old, a uh, very tragic motorcycle accident. I was uh, in a local hospital. I grew up in the church. Uh, one of the things my mom, my mom and dad were divorced when I was six years old, but one of my rules was that on Sunday morning, everybody got to go to church. So I, you know, I tell people all the time, my mom gave me my first drug problem. She drug me to church, drug me to Sunday school, drug me to VBS. But I really had not had a committed relationship to the Lord. And sitting or lying there in that hospital bed, almost this close to death, the senior deacon from the church I grew up in, Greater Montcalm Baptist Church in the Lord and I were on the corner of Foster and Galvez, came to my hospital bed, put his finger in my face and said, boy, obedience is better than sacrifice. If you'll be obedient to your mom, you'll not be sacrificing your life here in this hospital. Wow. And so, Dr. Smith, for the first time in my life, I started thinking seriously about my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I, I, I knew about church, but I didn't know about the Savior. And uh, I started reading my Bible every day, every night, falling asleep reading, waking up in the morning reading it, until I had such a conviction though, with the Word mm-hmm. of God did in my life that the first time I was able to get out of my house and go to church, I never will forget, I had this long leg cast up on my left leg where my leg was broken. And when the invitation, I could not wait for the invitation to be extended. I walked down the aisle, and people just knew I was coming down there to thank the people for their prayers and support. But I went down there in the church I literally grew up in and just told the folk, folk, I've been playing church all this long, all this life, all, all my life. I, I, I did not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If I would have died in that hospital, I'd be in hell tonight. So I just want to let folk know that uh, I'm to this, at uh, this night, this time, I'm uh, surrendering my heart, giving my life to the Lord. And the church just couldn't believe it because mm-hmm. I literally grew up in the church. And so, uh, but that's when I, I, I made a public appearance, a public mm-hmm. confession of my faith in Christ. And that's that, that weekend following that, I started preaching on the street corner. Okay. of the Lord Night World where I live, just sharing my faith because uh, I was just so convicted about what God did in my life. I wanted God to do the same thing in the life of other people that I knew. How did you meet your wife? Oh, Lord, uh, that's it. Now, you want my side of the story or her side of the story? She's not here, so <laughs> you go for it. Well, Elizabeth and I, you know, it's uh, many people who have uh, saw me or heard me when she's with me, I 
have this special way that I introduce her as the love of my life, the apple of my eye, my primary, my good thing all over the country. <laughs> and you love that. Uh, but her, her and I, we met in eighth grade in uh, junior high school at Lawless Junior High, but didn't really hit it off. Didn't really hit it off um, until we went to different high schools. Uh, in, in eighth grade, I was a jock, football player, basketball player, ran track. You know, yeah. my wife was a bookworm and all her life. She's always been on the principal row, on a row. She wore her dresses up to her neck, down her ankles. I'm a jock, man. Give me a <laughs> cheerleader. Give me a major. Give me somebody to show us something, you know. And so she never, but that went to, we went to different high schools. And, uh, in the high school I went to, I was the only guy on the football team that had a car. So I was bringing the other guys home from the high school I was t- attending. And the guy who wound up being the best man in my wedding, Donald Muffet, uh, I was bringing him home. And there was this girl across the street from where he stayed at who had on these tight Daisy Duke shorts and this tight top. <laughs> I said, Donna, who's that? He said, that's Elizabeth. I said, Elizabeth who? He said, Elizabeth. Well, I said, man, something happened to her. What happened? He said, yeah, high school changed it. So now keep in mind, this was my BC day. That's been all right. And uh, so I got a chance to meet her. And uh, and I said, girl, you have changed since junior high school. And, uh, but my little Rapping, a little rapping on her, and so we started dating in my uh, in our junior year in uh, in high school, and uh, that's when we started dating. And then uh, uh, I had my Damascus Road experience in 1977. This was in '74, and my in 1977. And I made a promise to God. I made a promise to Elizabeth. I told God, God, if you save me, I serve you. I told Elizabeth, uh, uh, if you uh, give me a chance to. Uh, to change my life, I'll be the best husband, the best man you can ever be. Were y'all married at the time? No, we we did. We Dang. didn't get married until 1980. She had to watch to make sure I was a changed man. And yeah, so yeah. she did. Yeah. So she watched me from 1977 yeah. to 1980. We got married in 1980, and uh, God is blessed now. It's been 31 years, man. Unbelievable. Well, I, I now I really do want to hear her side nah, of the story. Yeah, you need to hear her side of the story. <laughs> So, uh, where did you do your undergraduate? Every, all of my schooling was in New Orleans. I've okay. elementary, junior high, high school, college, uh, seminary, everything was right there. Okay. I've never been out of New Orleans until, okay. until I started traveling and, uh, preaching across the country. Okay. So, New Orleans Seminary, yep. then in 1986, Franklin Avenue Franklin Baptist, Avenue Church. Baptist Church. Tell me about those early days. It was a, a very interesting, cause yeah, I, I grew up National Baptist, had no clue. Right. Had never heard of Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. I uh, was preaching in a local National Baptist Church in 1986. Someone there heard me and asked me about Franklin Amos. Said Franklin Amos looking for a pastor. Are you interested? And I said, well, that's that church on Franklin Avenue. That's an all-white church. White, blacks don't go there. I said, yeah. no. So said, it's now a black neighborhood. Black. I said, I did not know that. And so I said, sure, I would be interested. Because my wife and I were really praying about what God wanted us to do uh, in in our lives and our future. And so long story short, I put in my resume um, the pastor of our mother church, Daniel Reagan, and the people on the pulpit committee, uh, Franklin Avenue, interviewed me. They came to hear me preach. I was preaching at a, a revival at a local church at mm-hmm. the time. They heard me preach and they really thought that I was the person that, that should be at Franklin Avenue. The only problem was the direct admission felt that because of some of the things that Franklin Avenue had been through, that they needed someone who was more experienced mm-hmm. as a pastor. So, But but the, the, the church, which had 50 members at the time, and the uh, pulpit committee felt that I was the man for the job. But the, so the director mission said, "Son, you're not my choice. You're not. You're not my decision. But this is what. Uh, 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 this is your job description. You either go resurrect this church, or we're going to bury it." 
That was it. You resurrect wow. this church. And I'm keeping, I never passed it before in my life. And that was his job description to me. But one of the things I know, I tell people all the time, I know we are known in New Orleans for jazz funerals, but I was not in the mood for a church funeral, brother. <laughs> so I just began crying out to God. God, you have me here. Uh, you know what needs to happen here. And as a result of that, uh, I believe God uh, granted me a lot of favor, a lot of grace. And, uh, to the point where pre-Katrina, uh, Franklin Avenue had grown to be the largest Southern Baptist church uh, in, in the state of Louisiana. Okay, well, I have to ask why. Then you're you're looking at respect, retrospect, yes. the grace of God, of yes. course. But you're sitting down with a young man who looks yes. at your life and trajectory and says, uh, "Dr. Luter, I, I want that in my life." So, what do you attribute that early, really, some explosive growth, right? In the, yes, in the 1980s, major growth. Yeah. And one again. I think I have no doubt that the, the one thing that that happened and changed the church is that I don't think it was a coincidence. That's that day I was on there. I, I remember like it was yesterday. I was on my way to the to the post office, uh, mailing some packages, and I heard this this voice, this program on the radio, the Urban Alternative, Doctor yeah. Tony Evans. And hearing this guy preach, I just said, "Whoa, this is incredible!" And uh, and and attending that pastor's conference. Literally changed my way of preaching. Okay, so t- tell us about that. Uh, it's it's it it taught me things that I had not ever been taught before, as far as how to really dig into the Word of God and make the Word of God uh, not make the Word, of God, but look, look at what the Word of God was 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 saying and bring it out in such a way that the people would see that it's not what the preacher's saying, yeah. what God is saying through the preacher. Yeah. And to really just take the word of God and share it and apply it to people's lives. It really changed my preaching. It changed my, my and as a result of that, it changed the life of the church. Mm. And so when I went there and and even the people would, would saw the change in my preaching style, saw the change in and uh, you know, I would you know, before I would just take a text and would never refer back to the text. Okay. <laughs> but now it was Reading a text and referring to the text all throughout the sermon, right. and people say that's different, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and and it just made a lot more sense to people that I was actually preaching what the Word of God was saying, wow. and and that just it just transformed my life, transformed the life of the church wow. where people were able to wow, I see it, I got it, yeah. and so conviction of the Holy Spirit came uh, in our lives, uh, and people wanted to begin to wanted to to do what the Word of God says, and it it transformed our church. We often say around here, preaching is more than explaining a text, but it's certainly no less. Yes. And just that simple explanation of a text, is, it's radical and life-changing, of it course. Does. And historically, you have a reputation, especially in those early years, of attracting men. Yes. Just hearing that, uh, do you think there's any relationship with straightforward walking through a text and attracting a male following? I, I do. Um you know, when I got the Franklin Avenue, you can count them in on one hand. We just mm. didn't have any. And I just felt that uh, I had a passion, a conviction of of reaching out to men because I, I just had a conviction that if you save the man, the man will save his mm. family. And one of the things about men that I've learned, even growing up in the church that I grew up in, that you you can't fool a lot of brothers. They, you know, you got to be fooled right. In it. And guys want the truth. And so when... I take the text when I take the word of God and preach the word of God and let them actually see that's not I'm, that's not anything I'm making up. That's anything I'm, right. It's right there because I always, uh, right here the guys is right in the text when they see uh, where, where this is the word of God and how this is being applied to their lives, to their marriage, to their family, to their personal lives. 
I believe it makes all the difference in the world, and it has made all the difference in the world. Uh, the thing that blesses me, I Smith, is just to have men come up to me, women come up to me, uh, even teenagers come up to me maybe months later and say, I remember that sermon you preached. Matter of fact, I can give you the three parts of that sermon, and wow. I can tell you the text it was from. That, you know, that, that amazes me because of the fact that that's what the Word of God is supposed to do. It's supposed to make such an impact in our lives that it's stuff that sticks with us. Yeah. And they're watching it change you yes. while it's changing them. So. No doubt about it. Because I tell people every sermon I preach, I preach to me first. Yeah. And and that's what so I guess that's one of the reasons I preach with passion, mm-hmm. because I preach it to me first. I go through it first. Yeah. And then to share it with the folk, it, it makes a difference. Yeah. That almost argues for you can't really preach a sermon until you've surrendered your life to obey it first, right? Because if that's you don't, my conviction. there's no passion there. That's right? my conviction. You've yeah. you, you, you got to surrender to the text yourself yeah. in order to preach it. And and. And not like just a story you're telling, but man, you actually live in this thing. It's something that you really live in yourself, and it makes a difference. All right, I'm going to change the subject because that's convicting. All right, all right, all right. No problem. <laughs> all right, so August 2005. Yes. Did you have any sense Katrina was coming in the way that it did? No, had no. You know, like I said, I grew up in New Orleans, been there all my life. Um, hurricane season come every year, but it was like, oh, no, no, yeah. another hurricane season. We're going to get yeah. through it. Uh, um, Never had any clue. Now, we always, again, always had hurricane season. And, and at the the most, uh, you know, we'd have lights out for a few hours, you know, uh, branches from trees in the in the street. But other right. than that, and if we had to evacuate, we'd be gone two days and we're back. Um, and so we thought the same thing was going to happen with Hurricane right. Katrina. My wife and I... Uh, uh, Again, born and raised in New Orleans, so we used to hurricanes. The year before Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Ivan hit the city, mm-hmm. same about the same time, and we were supposed to evacuate that year. And that year, we came up to Dallas, Texas. Our son was a student at DBU, and so we spent two days with him and uh, went back home. I mean, it was, everything was perfect. Everything was well. Well, next year when Katrina came, we said, well, let's do the same thing. We we had a daughter living in Birmingham. She was a student at Sanford University. So we went up there to Birmingham and spent two days with her. Well, those two days wound up being seven months. Uh, and none of us, no one in the city of New Orleans knew that this was going to happen because if you ask many people, most of us are left with two days of clothing. That was it wow. because we knew it was coming right back. But every one of us uh, watching what was it, the devastation there was just, I'm still to this day pinching myself because it's still hard to believe that that happened, that an entire city was literally flooded. And, and the thing about it, I tell people all the time, Katrina had left. Katrina, as I say, girlfriend had did her thing. She was gone. But what messed us up in the city of New Orleans was when the levees broke. Yeah. Um, that's what caused the devastation. That would cause the flooding. And that's what changed the history of our city forever. So how did it change the city? Huh? Yeah, it changed the city in the, in, in, the, in the way that it many of us who had never been gone out of the city. That's why you had so many people hmm. in the super dominant convention center. It's where you had all those, the pictures of all those school buses on the right. water. Because for years, people never left. Uh, they couldn't conceive of just, leaving the city. No, we just, as they say, we just hunker down and, and we oh. go make it through. But it changed the city, in fact, that we will never again, forever again, take a hurricane for granted. Even though the levees, quote unquote, supposed to be stronger, it, it will, for, I promise you, if a hurricane ever comes uh, in that area and the eye is coming to the city right. of New Orleans, every one of us are getting out of Dodge. We will never again take a hurricane for granted. 
when did your church reconvene and what did you say to them? Well, one of the things that uh, um, was very tough for me was to actually see uh, the church I pastored underwater, the school I went to underwater, the home I lived in underwater. So it was a very difficult, difficult, difficult time for me. Um, I just... You know, I was I was really angry during that time. I almost I think even went through a, a mild depression. I could not understand how something like this would happen in America, where people were dying because they couldn't get water, couldn't get food. I mean, th- this was no third world country. This was New Orleans. This was a major city in our country where people were dying because they couldn't get water, couldn't get food. And and the thing that just messed me up besides that was the thing that uh, I I couldn't understand. And I told God, when I get to heaven, God and I going to have a long talk about this. But, you know, my church was flooded. New Orleans Seminary, where I went, uh, flooded. Uh, Xavier University, where my, where my wife got her pharmacy degree, was flooded. Yeah. All the schools and churches and homes were flooded. But this thing that messed me up, Bourbon Street was high and dry. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, I tell people all the time, it was the first time in the history of Bourbon Street that it was dry. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> and so I struggled with that through the years. And... Uh, and it was never knowing who was alive, uh-huh. who was dead. And so what I started doing, my pastor friends from around the country started calling me, finding that I was in Birmingham, inviting me to come preach to uh-huh. the, in their churches. And what I would do, I would put my schedule on our website, put my schedule, and then I would go to these different cities and people from the church would show up. Because they were there. They left they, New Orleans. They left New Orleans, and they were literally all over the country. I never forget. I went I went to preach for Dr. David Jeremiah in California. Four of our members were there. <laughs> preached for Dr. Johnny Hunt in, at First Baptist Woodstock. We had over 200 members of our church that day. And right. it was just, you know, thing. and first of all, we just all cried because we had, you know, we hadn't seen each other. We didn't know who was alive and things like that. And so that was really, really, really difficult. But when we finally was able to get back and have services in New Orleans, we had it at uh, it was in January of January of 2006. Uh, we had services in First Baptist Church, which was one of the few churches in the city that didn't flood. And we'd have service there at 7.30 service in the morning. And then we'd drive up to Baton Rouge, where we have a 1 o'clock service there for many of our people who were in Baton Rouge. And my wife and I would either depend on what I had that Monday. We'd stay in Baton Rouge overnight, drive back to Birmingham. And then on second and fourth Saturdays, we'd drive to Houston, Texas. We had over a thousand members living in Houston, Texas. And we'd have services there. First Baptist Church Houston allowed us to use their church. So every first and third Saturday, my wife and I would drive from Birmingham to New Orleans. That's first and third Sunday. We have services in New Orleans in Baton Rouge, drive back to Birmingham. And every second and fourth Saturday, drive from Birmingham to Houston, Texas, and have service at First Baptist Church with uh, over 600 of our members who were there. I never forget, uh, my wife and I were packing up the Jeep that Monday morning after the fourth Sunday in January. We've been to New Orleans and Baton Rouge twice, Birmingham to Houston twice. was loading up our Jeep that morning, and I looked at my wife. I said, baby, uh, you think we'll be able to do this for a while? And she looked at me as serious as she, as she can. She said, I think you'll be able to do this. For, I don't know about no we stuff. And, uh, but, and people ask me all the time, why did you do that? Why would you have done? Well, Franklin Avenue was the first church I've ever passed. I've never passed at any other church. The first church I've ever passed it. Wow. And I, I missed seeing the people. Your people. I'm, they, they were my people. I missed seeing them. Doesn't matter where they are. No matter where they were. And I'm, I miss seeing them. And I, that I, I would still be doing it today 
if my body wouldn't have said, knucklehead, you can't do this much longer. <laughs> How and long did you do it? I did it for seven months. Unbelievable. Seven months uh, on the road like that. And uh, till my body told me that I couldn't do it anymore. So I called one of my pastor, associate pastors who was living in Memphis, Tennessee, and he took over the church in Houston. And he still, that church is still going on now to this day. And another one of our associate ministers took over the church in Baton Rouge because now we were going back full time to the church in New Orleans. Well, it's a whole nother conversation. Yes. Let me, you know, let me steward our time by asking you what I'm curious about. Okay. I want to know how you prepare a sermon. Oh. We know how we were taught to do it in seminary. Yes. You talked about a shift uh, when you went back to your church in 1989. Yes. So. Yes. Could you take us through text to sermon in no such thing as a typical week for you, I'm sure. Yes. But you sit down in there. Uh, and again, I'm not asking for what you, we're supposed to say. I've noticed every guy has his own unique yeah. uh, things that he does, quirks. What do you do with your sermon process to go text and, to sermon? And this, uh, this is something I say that, that surprises a lot of people, but, but it's the God's honest truth. You can really ask my wife. I struggle putting sermons together. Mm-hmm. I, I love preaching them. I, I think I, once I put them together and, and, and get the hot book, I, but it's a struggle putting them together because I, I don't take it for granted. Yeah. I, I realize that I'm, I'm representing God and I want to make sure that when I stand behind that pulpit and when I open up God's word, I'm speaking God's word to yeah. people. And so it's, it's almost like a fear that yeah. if I don't get it right, God go hold me kind, and he right. will. And so I, I, I guess I'm really hard on myself to make sure that I do my best and give it my best every, every, every opportunity I get. So, so, um, a typical, uh, time for me of putting a, it takes me about, and, and this has been throughout my, my time of, uh, of pastoring and, and preaching. It takes me anywhere from seven to eight hours okay. uh, for sermon preparation uh, to to preach a sermon that I will only preach for thirty five minutes. Yeah. About seven eight hours preparation, and and I guess to go through the steps, I first just as I, I, I pray, it, uh, I bathe the, uh, uh, the the time to, in prayer. I said, Lord, uh, all right, this is my assignment this week. You know, I got to do, and so I just prayfully pray to God about. What is it that he will want me to share? Now, being that I've been through that this church for now 25 years, I know the heart of the people there. I know uh, what needs to be uh, addressed, what not, what needs to be dealt with. But there are sometimes you just, you know, you preach different sermons, uh, different series there, uh, and so you. But but whatever the process is, I'll pray about what is it God wants me to preach, and, and I, I'll pray about it, and then I'll go through my my uh, my Bible. And if I'm doing a series, I'll first of all pick out the uh, 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 the text. And he said, like right now I'm doing a series on uh, lessons from the master leading up to Resurrection Sunday morning. I'm uh, looking at the, the, what the life, the lessons that Jesus taught his disciples mm-hmm. leading up to Resurrection Sunday morning. Um, um Matthew 14, I, the first uh, uh, a lesson about faith where I, Jesus was uh, sent the disciples out. He was up on a mountain praying and he sent the disciples in the boat and, and he got off the mountain. Instead of calling them back, he walked on the water mm-hmm. and uh, and told the guy, hey, guys, don't worry about coming to me. I'll come to you. And uh, Peter saw they saw him walking on the water. They got excited and they, oh, and Peter said, Lord, bid me to come. Oh, and Peter always getting And so uh, I. And and he said, "Okay, Peter, come." And so I I, I looked at that message, uh, and it's called uh, a lesson about faith. And it's first faith, uh, a frantic faith, 
uh, uh, finalizing faith, just in, in four different lessons that Jesus taught Peter right. through those disciples. So I, t- I, t- I take the text and I look at the text. I read it in different translations, different. Right. Uh, so I have, a, you know, about four or five different translations that right. I'll read the text out. And then I'll, uh, pray about different illustrations that I want, that I want to use. And then I, I like alliteration. So I, I'll, okay. I'll struggle, struggle, struggle yeah. for the lyric because I want it to be good. And, and, and so once I get the text, then once I get the alliteration together, the, my different parts, then I'll again read the text. Then I'll maybe read the two or three commentaries. Okay. Uh, 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 have my dictionary there, my thesaurus there, uh, and I'll just go through those parts, uh, read the text again, and then I'll just start literally writing the sermon. By hand. By hand. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I write all my sermons out by manuscript. It just helps me better, sure. uh, to do that. And so, and as I'm writing the parts, uh, uh, again, I'm, I, I, I lean heavily on my dictionary, lean heavily on my thesaurus, and lean heavily on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, uh, and asking God, all right, God. And I'll even stop sometime, Dr. Smith, in the middle of a prayer and I say, okay, God, this is not coming out like I want it to. Yeah. I need you to speak to me. Yeah. And, and sometime I have to take a break. Yeah. Sometime I have to go get some coffee or just, yeah. and, and just come back to it. But I'll, yeah. I, I'll, I'll stick with it. I'll stick with it. Uh, sometime it may take me two days to get it done. Sometime it take me three days to get it done. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I'll stick with it until I feel that this is what God, uh, uh, wants me to say. And by the end of the, those eight or nine hours, I've literally written everything out and then, uh, uh, close it up, pray about it, put it up. Then the next morning I get up and, and say, all right, let's go through this again. There's some other thing may come, but, but, but that's basically what, mostly okay. what I'll go through. And, uh, and I always try to do an introduction that will get people's ear. Right. I mean, just you know, get an introduction. And then I also will try to get a fancy title that will catch their, that'll catch Attention, their ears. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've often thought of it as a, as a wrestling match where yes. sometimes you feel like you've got way. the text. Other times it's got me absolutely yes. into the mat and you just, you fight with it yes. all the way through. And yes, you do. What's your greatest fear for the Southern Baptist Convention? My greatest fear is that we stop making the main thing the main thing, that we'll get into these tangents and get into these, these petty discussions about things that, uh, uh, will stop us from making the main thing the main thing. The main mm-hmm. thing is, is evangelism, discipleship. We've mm-hmm. got to get back to winning lost souls. Uh, we, we've got to get back to that. That's, that's the crux of uh, what God says to do in the great, great commission. Uh, uh, we've got to go out and, and win lost yeah. people to Jesus Christ. The greatest asset, in your opinion, of the Southern Baptist Convention? I think our heart for the loss and our heart for when people are suffering disaster relief. Um, I I'm, can testify firsthand how this convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, rescued the city of New Orleans from the brink of a disaster like Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Um, our convention was so effective. I mean, people c- came from everywhere mm-hmm. across the country, college student, missionaries, pastors, staff members, um, I mean, and just, just did a phenomenal job of helping people, regardless if they were white, black, Southern Baptist, National Baptist, right. Catholic, Methodist. They came to help people who were in need. So much so that our local newspaper in New Orleans, when the 
rebuilding of New Orleans was not going as well as we expected it to go. The local editor of the local newspaper in the city wrote an editorial that said, I quote, if Southern Baptist would have been in charge of rebuilding New Orleans, she would have been rebuilt by now. Wow. That was powerful. Strong. That that was strong. Uh, uh, and so we're, we're known for that. We're good for that, and we need to continue that. But we've also, through the years, been known for for our outreach to the lost, not only in, in not only here in America, but but in the world. Mm-hmm. And our missionaries, you're going into uh, uh, unreached people groups and and just sharing our faith. So the, those two things, I really believe, we need to continue to be known for that. Capitalize on our strengths. Yes, what you're saying. Capitalize on our strengths. Um, you look at preaching today. Are you encouraged or discouraged? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I'm encouraged by some of the guys that that I he, that I see, but unfortunately, I'm discouraged because of the fact that a lot of the guys who are just not saying a lot, yeah, are getting most of the attention. That's that seems to be the <laughs> one well the media. That's seen the one the one the media you know fall yeah. in love with, and they. Yeah. It, there's some of these guys that's and I you know I mean on 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 religious stations on radio that I I just say how can people follow yeah. that how can people just yeah. enjoy that it's just and 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 even so to that person but how can you feel that you are feeding the people by some of the things that you're saying and yeah. so uh, uh, th- there are some things I'm encouraged by but most most more than often than not I'm discouraged by yeah. a lot of it and you can see it in the churches that the churches are not as strong as we should be yeah. because of the preaching is not as strong as it should be yeah well, we're on the impending eve of your possible election as yes, the president sir. of the Southern Baptist Convention. Yes, sir. So uh, I just want to pray that God's grace will be with you and this heart and passion for exposition. May it kind of trickle down and influence the rest of our convention. And I'm going to pray it'll be so. Thank you, sir. I'm, I'm excited about this opportunity. I've been a Southern Baptist for 25 years. Uh, never thought I'd see this day. But God has given me a lot of favor. And I mm-hmm. tell guys all the time, you know, um, I've been faithful to God. Mm-hmm. I've been faithful to the word of God. Mm-hmm. I've been faithful to my wife. I've been faithful to my church. And I believe God rewards faithfulness. Mm. And I believe this is a way that God is rewarding my faithfulness, that he would give me an opportunity to uh, lead this terrific uh, convention uh, as uh, people have always offered it for such a time as this. Absolutely. Dr. Lewis, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Smith. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. 